0: advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Rachel Bagnola is a leadership coach, business advisor, and entrepreneur with nearly a decade of experience in leadership, psychotherapy, and executive coaching. She is the CEO and startup founder of Coba, a foldable bike helmet brand. COVID influenced the future of the helmet industry and earned her much recognition, including being named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list in manufacturing. Rachel gave a TEDx talk on entrepreneurship for NJIT and was named one of the top seven young women in STEM by Forbes. Rachel has a comprehensive background in both clinical psychology and innovation leadership, which she uses in her practice as a coach, an advisor, which we are going to learn much more about soon. Welcome to the Hazard Girls Podcast, Rachel.
1: Hi Emily. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I you just told me right before the interview that you're actually in California now. You're you've relocated out there. How is it out there?
1: It's it's nice. It's nice and warm and sunny and I don't miss the humidity of the East Coast.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we first met in Philadelphia, which is, I, I guess I thought maybe you were still here, but you're actually, you actually moved. But we met at the Comcast Lyft Labs Innovation, or no, it was the Female Founders and Funders Meeting, like 2019, right?
1: Yeah, it was a while ago. Time has yeah, flown. It was,
0: yeah, it was before the pandemic. But the female founders and funders meeting at Comcast, Lift Labs in Philadelphia, I I heard it's starting back up or it has recently started back up. So that's a great program for anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship to go talk to other entrepreneurs and meet um, other women who are actually investors as well, right? Absolutely. So, well, that was before the pandemic. So I think that's probably the last time we really got a chance to catch up with each other. So Mm -hmm. I would love to find out Everything you've been working on since then, it's a lot of time has passed. Um, You originally, so let's start with what I originally knew you from, which was you made your entry into the scene through your startup, Mm Coba Helmet. Can you, yeah, can you fill us in a little bit um, on your background? What did you study in school?
1: So I actually studied psychology. Okay. um, In my undergrad at Rutgers, and then I. Went into uh, clinical psychology in graduate school, where I got my master's, and that's when I started doing uh, therapy as a therapist and and coaching. Um, and while I was doing that, I really got this inkling towards entrepreneurship, and I was starting programs in the higher education space, and it really piqued my interest in terms of building new things and innovating and coming up with new ideas, and. Um, Working with my own coach, they really encouraged me to, hit, you know, lean into my entrepreneurial side and mm-hmm. I more or less decided to go to business school. So I, I took a different path and decided to step away a little bit from therapy, still do executive coaching in the business space, but get my business degree. And so I have my MBA from Drexel University in innovation management and and entrepreneurship. And so while I was in that program, that's where the birth of COVA came from was the product development courses really helped me hone in on that, that concept and that product. Mm -hmm. So I come, I come into the startup space with a very psychology focused look at understanding customers' needs at a deep level, their emotions, their drivers but I don't have any formal like product development experience. And that's why I recruited people on my team that helped me with that as we developed the product.
0: Okay, so that's so interesting. So you actually did psychology first, figured out that you were very interested in entrepreneurship and you said you had a coach that, that encouraged you to pursue that and then you ended up going to business school. What, why did you have a coach? What, how did you know that it would be a good idea to get a coach? Was it something that your program recommended? Mm,
1: Yeah. So when I was in, I was actually in the doctor program at Chestnut Hill College for my PsyD. They um, suggested a therapist of some kind. And I was really kind of grappling with, do I really want to be a doctor? Do I really want to be a psychologist? Even though I was in the program, I was like, man, I don't, I, I got in, which kind of shocked me. I was like, oh, this is awesome. But, do I really want to be a doctor and commit like the next ten years of my life to studying this? And, um, I so I sought out a graduate school coach because I was really trying to figure out, is this the right path for me? what What are my strengths? What, you know, really just understanding myself better? Mm-hmm. um, And that's why I sought someone who's a therapist, but also does graduate school coaching. And it was so incredibly helpful to help me even uncover this like hidden strength of entrepreneurship that I never even considered or heard that word really um, growing up. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know what? I do like to start things. I do like to innovate and come up with creative ideas and build things from scratch. And um, I think coaches do help guide you to even just really figure out and learn about yourself more.
0: Okay. So, okay. So then you decided after that to go to onto Drexel for business school, which is also in the Philadelphia area. And you were there and that's when you came up with the idea for your product, Kova Helmet. Can you talk about what led you to figure out that that was a need in the marketplace and and talk a little bit about the process of developing it?
1: Sure. So, when I was in business school, that's when a lot of the bike share programs were launching. So, like City Bike and Indigo, all the different cities have their own names and and I love to bike around, especially around Philly. It was really fun, but it's super dangerous. You know, cars are whizzing around and at that time, um a friend of mine got into a crash and suffered some very serious injuries to her head. And I had talked to her about it and she was just like, I regret not wearing my helmet because the doctors had told me if I was wearing a helmet, this likely would have prevented like concussion and damage to her eye. Um, and so that really stuck with me. And I was like, interesting. Why? And I started asking a lot of questions of like, why don't people wear helmets? Cause you, most in the cities, you see people not doing that a lot. Mm-hmm. And um And I know I always, as a kid, like would wear my helmet a little bit. And then like, after maybe 20 minutes, you're like, oh, this is dumb. Or I look stupid and take it off. (laughs) Right. And, um, but you tell your parents that you did wear it. (laughs) And, um, so I, I started drawing concepts and in, in business school, in these classes, I was like what if I like took this idea forward? It really aligned with my values of, I want to develop a product that's actually going to make positive impact in the world, actually help people. This might actually save lives. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, what if I invented a, a more convenient helmet that looked better, that was more stylish? And um, and so I worked, I worked through that. And then I signed up for the Philly Startup Leaders uh, Startup Bootcamp. It's a nonprofit in Philadelphia. They have excellent programming. I did their boot camp. It was like four months long and it was rigorous, you know, throwing you into just like this, you know, everything that you need to build a startup from beginning to end. And um it was great for me. It really challenged me and developed and pushed the idea forward from just paper, little paper prototypes of the helmet to mm-hmm. actual actual prototypes made of the materials that we might use in the final product all the way through to the MVP. Um and so I recruited a team. We developed um prototypes every single like we were going through them every few months, like new prototypes and then doing safety testing on them. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was a wild ride just going (laughs) through that experience of product. People don't realize what goes into the the minute details of every little thing in your product. And you know that, Emily, better than anybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So that's really interesting. You know, it kind of explains to me why so many people kept coming up to me and saying, you have to meet. There's this woman you have to meet. And we met, we had already met at, comcast but like as i was in the process of launching my safety product people kept saying you have gotta meet this woman and they would tell me like all about your helmet and uh, it took me a little while to like make the connection that it was you (laughs) but that's so funny um but yeah it is it is quite the process it's it's you know it's not only rigorous and time-consuming but there are a lot of places i think that as founders as of a especially of a product like this you can meet resistance I'm wondering what was that like for you? Did you have any point in your process of developing your products that you met with resistance? Like this cannot be done. People saying that to you. Oh
1: my gosh, so many times. Yeah. So many people looked at me like I was crazy. Like a foldable helmet. Like good luck to you. (laughs) You know. Like I mean, (laughs) I think I think we all have to. Any entrepreneur has to be just a little touch of madness to create because like we're creating something that doesn't exist. It's like a whole new reality. And not everybody possesses that strength. I think entrepreneurs don't appreciate that enough about themselves, especially women, of like seeing themselves as like brilliant, really being able to come up with these new concepts. And, you know, when I was pitching that to different investors or different people that we might partner with to help build the product, there was a lot of pushback and a lot of like, oh, that's a cute little project you're doing. Like, good good mm-hmm. luck to you. And I just was way too, way too driven and type A to hear anything, but like, yes, I can help you. So like, if I didn't hear that, I was like, I'm going to find someone else that can help. Mm -hmm. Um, But interestingly, there was one really big challenge that we overcame that sticks out in my mind when you ask that question, which is early on, we were figuring out how to make the shell of the helmet bendable and and foldable, Mm -hmm. like still being plastic, but bendable. And so there were so many different types of plastics that we played with we did like 3d printing we did um you know just like heat heated some of the plastic like sheets down into like round you know half round like shapes to make it like a helmet and mm-hmm. a lot of people kept telling me the only way you can do this rachel is if you do an injection molding thing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and I'm like, well, how much does that cost? And right. and they've said, oh, it's like a half a million dollars for a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no! Like, so I'm thinking, oh, I have to. This, do I have to pivot my whole strategy and energy into fundraising that much money? And I was really like, what am I gonna do? You know, I'm dead in the water if I can't make this shell work because it's not going to be foldable. And I had just talked with a lot of people in the community, and one of the other startup founders that's in the hardware space. I was talking with him at like a dinner at someone's house. And he's like, there's a guy I know who is like the this like just very wise dude that I think can help you. And me, uh-huh. I'm like, I've got nothing to lose. So I'm just like, yeah, let's do it. I went out and met this dude at a woodworking shop out in like the middle of nowhere. Uh-huh. And um, and I was telling him my, my problem, my design issue. And he's like, you know, I could actually make you um, like wooden molds. He's like, they won't last as long, but, mm-hmm. you know, cause they'll break after a while under the heat, but like, we can actually, you know, m- meld and mold the plastic over these like wooden molds. And I was like, that sounds incredible. That could be a great short-term solution while we're doing prototyping instead of investing a half a million up front. Like this is yeah. a way better way to like figure out this problem. And so he, I said to him, how much is this going to cost? And he's like, Oh, I could make you a couple molds for 500 bucks. <laughs> and I literally shed a tear. Cause I was oh. like, I went from a half a million dollar cost uh-huh. to $500 to solve the same problem. Right. Right. And that blew me away. And that gave my team and I so much motivation to like, keep going that like, okay, we solved this seemingly really insurmountable problem.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. That is inspiring. And it must have, it must have been such a relief to know that you didn't have to raise that money up front. So did yes. you end up going to investors to try to get investment money?
1: I did. I did. Late like later on, um I was I mean I was doing pitch competitions, so I won like hmm. four different competitions, but they don't necessarily give a ton of money and it's like mm-hmm. you know, it's a drop in the bucket. It gives you good some good, you know, visibility and press, but you know, we raised all of our capital with private accredited investors. Mm-hmm. Um it was mostly through high net worth individuals, just people that I met through networking that were like, I really believe in what you're doing. I think this is an amazing vision and I want to back it. And um, the, the fundraising journey was very interesting. And I definitely learned a lot along the way about how to talk to investors, how to build relationships with them, how to maintain relationships. And I'm thankful that all of them and I have still have great relationships that any future venture I start, I'm confident they will back me because we've just built a good relationship together.
0: There's so much talk in the community and the startup community about how it is difficult, more difficult for women to get funding and how, you know, small percentage, I don't know what the statistic is right now, but it's very low um, of women who are able to get funding versus men. So how did you find that in the process? Did you, did you encounter any issues as far as um, being discriminated
1: against? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have some gross stories of just like older white men, like hammered being like, I'll write you a check and like kind of giving me these like flirty vibes. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I I really. (laughs) And so I tell people like, even though you're desperate for money, like all money is not created equal. You Uh need to be diligent and not take that from someone you don't feel like your values are aligned. Yeah. And so I turned down, I actually turned down money at, because I felt I was being kind of trapped a little right. bit in a situation that I didn't want to be in. And um, I could see my male like counterpart, like my male colleagues that were starting helmet companies in the same space as I was raising millions of dollars on literally the same concept, but like different design.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: I was struggling to, you know, raise to even hit a million, and they were like multi, multi-million very quickly, and um, it was very disheartening, total bummer to to put it lightly, but um, I I chose to supplement the investment from the accredited investors that I did find with my own cash. So Uh I put in my own, and I don't necessarily, I'm not saying I recommend this to other founders, but, you know, um, I put in my own savings. I maxed out my credit cards, which took me like years to pay off. So if I could go back, I would have been a little bit, have a little more boundaries between my personal finances and my business. But at the time I was just like, you know, I don't care. I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, what advice, so you've been through a lot with, that whole process and what advice would you have for women who are entering this entrepreneurship journey when they and they're at the point where they do want to talk to funders they do want to start fundraising for their companies do you have any advice in dealing with i mean the boundaries advice is very good but do you have any mm-hmm. other thoughts
1: sure um i would say that very early on when you're starting your company you should be networking with potential investors from day one. I think a lot of founders wait way too long because Uh the, the runway period is at least 18 months, right? To raise your full first round, depending upon what it is, but you're looking at a year to two years to get the money, all the money you need. So it's like, you need to start now and just build relationships where it doesn't feel forced or pushed, especially if you're really looking for an investor for the long-term of your company, and you really want your values to be aligned and build a good relationship, I think that that's not something that happens overnight. Uh So like I met with investors multiple times and just literally shared with them updates about the product development. Like this is where we're at, this is what we're doing. And I would ask them for advice. And that always leads me to a piece of advice I got that I love to pass on, which is if you ask with investors, If you ask for advice, you'll get money. If you ask for money, you'll get advice. (laughs) Is that true? Do you think that's true? I think so. I think so. So a lot of the investors that I did end up working with, I Mm -hmm. never actually asked them for investment. It's that I said, I need advice. What do you think about this? What's your input? What do you think about what I'm doing? And I made them feel a part of the process. And like yeah. a part of the team, and then they said, You know what, Rachel? I think I'm ready to invest, and I'm like, Great. Inside, I'm screaming and jumping up and down, but to <laughs> them, I'm like, You know, let's do this.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. So, all right, now you the pandemic happened. This was like right during the heyday of, of Kova Helmet. Um, You made the very difficult decision—I'm assuming very difficult decision—to shift from Kova Helmet to another another focus of yours, which is coaching and helping other founders. So, can you talk about the process? What that process was like for you to make that decision?
1: Oh man, Emily. Yeah. I mean, during the pandemic, right when it started. I like did not realize. Well, I mean, none of us knew what was ahead. And I was in the middle of raising another round. So there were funds that I was working, like talking with. They were like, okay, we were moving forward with like negotiations and things like that. And in March, when things like kind of went down in the world, I get a call from both of these big funds that they're like, Rachel, we're really sorry, but all the new funds that you know, we've been kind of talking to, we've decided we're just not going to be investing in anything new because of the, you know, where the economy might be. And we're just really sorry. And I, when I got off the phone, I was just like, what am I going to do? You know, because we had already waited so long to raise that capital that we were so low on cash. And it's kind of hard to get people to show up when there was like all these rules about working in person and, you know, staying at home. People in my team were getting getting COVID. I got COVID. So it's like, how do you build a physical hardware product if you can't meet in person and you can't pay anybody also? Yeah. Um, and that was really hard. It's like, I was in denial. Like, this is, is this really happening right now? And um, I really... Like took a step back with it because we all kind of had to being stuck at home. You're I was facing sort of where do where do we go from here? And I spoke with my investors and with the team. And it just we all agreed that it was really risky to keep moving forward because we did have debts, you know, we had things to pay off and we couldn't do that. And we didn't know how long things were gonna last with this pandemic. And I just was like, is this something that I want to sit on for the next like five plus years waiting for things to kind of come back on? I don't know. And um, I I really sat with myself and I thought, I think it's time to move on Mm -hmm. and walk away before the debt and the hole that we're in with finances if it gets bigger. And that was really... It took me many, many months of like grappling with that to decide to walk away. Um, And I dissolved the corporation. I I really wanted to go out with my head held high. I didn't wanna have to file for bankruptcy. And if I had waited, we would have had to go that route. And that's a very, very difficult road when you have to file bankruptcy for a corporation. The paperwork, just the timeline, and so I was like, I'd like to dissolve this corporation, which is a much easier process, a lot lighter, um where I informed all the investors and debtors about closing down um per like the laws of Delaware, where we' where we were incorporated. Uh-huh. And so I followed all of the, those rules and um, and we were only able to sell off a very small amount of our assets, but we did and just liquidated whatever inventory we had and and we and I walked away and it felt like I was giving up my child like mm-hmm. all that I had worked for for 6 years I was like walking away from but all the things I learned the wisdom the experiences the people I met like that all is still with me I didn't you know I didn't lose any of that and I think a right. lot of people don't realize that most startups don't make it, like 90% don't make it, right? And it's a harsh fact, but a lot of entrepreneurs, we just like want to be hopeful that we're in that like 10%. And I think that's good, but it doesn't mean that you're a failure as a person if your startup doesn't make it, because I know most entrepreneurs, if they're anything like me, they... Did everything that they possibly imaginably could to make it work before they really decided, we have to walk away.
0: There's so I, there's so much to unpack in what you said. I think that's, it's it's a really good point that it's it's important for people who are entrepreneurs and who are working toward a personal mission um, that they're building a business around, not to take the closure of that business or pivoting away from that business ever as a failure that is finite or to recognize failure as not necessarily a bad thing, because it is giving you the opportunity, everything you've learned, like you said, you you can keep, and then it gives you the opportunity to go on to the next thing with all of that knowledge that you've gained. And speaking of all of that knowledge, um, you have decided to take all of that knowledge that you've learned from this experience with Kova Helmet and in combination with your educational background and experience to put that all together and start your own coaching practice. Can you talk a little bit about what your coaching practice is all about um, and who you are serving?
1: Sure, absolutely. So Fathom is my coaching firm and I named it fathom because fathom is measuring depth of water and, and really the type of person that I, that I work with is someone who wants to go deeper into their why it's an, Mm -hmm. it's an entrepreneur or it's an executive or leader that, um, really is kind of type a very achiever oriented. And they realize that they're not really taking a moment to stop and appreciate their achievements, they're just always looking to the next thing, but it's feeling unfulfilling. Like the, the success that you've achieved is not feeling like enough and you're wanting more, more richness out of your life, out of your work and really wanting to be able to show up better as your whole self in the workplace because there's emotions that we have that are showing up at work and sometimes people don't know how to deal with them. So it's really grappling with, how do I, I want to show up as an authentic person in my professional life, um, and build a build a professional life that feels actually meaningful to to me as a person, as a leader? Um, and so, I work with most. I do work with mostly female leaders and executives. I do work with men as well, um, but I, I see a lot of similar issues that women are facing. of you know, really lacking the confidence in themselves as leaders, or it's that they have a team, team members that maybe they're struggling with in conflict or things like that. And they're looking for support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to be there blending my psychology background. So I use some therapy techniques with my coaching and entrepreneur entrepreneurial experience to help them really make Actionable plans in how they're showing up at work so that they're getting more out of it.
0: Yeah, as entrepreneurs, we're constantly innovating and it does take a lot of energy and attention. And I can completely relate to what you said about um not stopping to appreciate the success that you have had because you're always looking ahead to the next goal, right? So you meet these goals, these goals where if you A few years ago, you might—that might have been your ultimate dream, and it's—you couldn't even imagine that that would happen. But when you find yourself having achieved that, you're so busy looking forward that you don't even take the time to stop and appreciate it. Um, And so, I—what I I hear you saying is that—that's the type of thing that takes away from us being able to maintain our own emotional and physical well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and contributes to burnout, right? Is that am I hearing you right?
1: Absolutely. And I and if anybody wants to watch my TED talk, I talk a lot mm-hmm. about that the the hidden cost of entrepreneurship and what to do about it. And it's about mental health, showing up for entrepreneurs, and that's what I coach on is how to help entrepreneurs manage their mental health in the face of the demands of a startup, and and. Any organization, I co- I've coached at large corporations like Macy's and Saks Fifth Avenue and Bristol Meyer Squibb, and um, I've coached at Kickstarter as well, like their V, hmm. you know, senior VPs. And so when I work with leaders, I see a lot of um, overlap between entrepreneurs and corporate leaders of mm-hmm. really always. Like not stopping, they're always looking to the next thing and not really checking in, not only on their successes, but also maybe on um, intu- intuition telling them this isn't right. I'm not happy. I want to mm. do something different, but I'm not sure what it is or I'm too scared to look at it. So I'm just going to keep working, keep my head to the grindstone. Mm. And a lot of people are in jobs and they're working so hard and they don't even know why they're doing it. And it's a compulsion almost to like mm. achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really enjoy working with these leaders that are like, you know what, I want to step off of that conveyor belt and really check in with myself, go deep and like figure out what's going on with me and what life I really want. And that's, um, the type of coach that I wish I had when I was in the midst of COVA. So like, I'm excited Mm -hmm. to like be that for other people.
0: One of the things that you mentioned in the show notes before the show is about it being about a culture within the organization of health and well-being. So not just about individuals, but about the whole organization, and uh, you know just the culture that that you, that the leadership is forming and um, fostering there. So how how can business leaders Foster healthy relationships and a, a good culture within an organization to keep its workers and its employees he- healthy and happy, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that's a great question. i I always go back to the individual and I see mm-hmm. that if a leader doesn't have a good relationship or understanding of themselves, which is often the case, I mean, it's mm-hmm. very common with all of us. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's you know, there's blind spots that we all have. Um, I think when you can work on how you're showing up to your own life, it allows you to have so much more space uh-huh. and re- receptivity and openness to others and, and really seeing their needs. Um, so it starts with self, but then as I see when I'm working with an indi- with an individual leader, that they are growing and even developing their own coaching skills. I do. I have um, assessment tools that I use to help leaders really see their strengths, um, things they need to work on, how they show up as even a coach to their mm-hmm. team members and help them develop coaching skills. Um, when I see them at that place, a lot of times they'll say, I want to share this knowledge with my whole team. And then that expands out to the whole team or organization. Yeah of drawing in everybody and figuring out and talking about together collectively, what type of culture do we want to build? What are things not working? How do we want to address them? Um, And this comes up when I've coached like co-founders that are like fighting all the time and like trying Mm -hmm. to get them to get along. I have so many stories of just different situations in the hardware space, retail space, uh, tech, Of just the, I think, Entrepreneurs are so excellent at building great products, but what I think an area that they need support in is the people problems, mm-hmm. the people issues, and and that's that's where I think coaches come in as mm-hmm. a support in that regard.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you who is your main target audience. Um, I know because you mentioned you work with some of these big companies, Bristol Myers Squibb, and you named a few others. Um, and then you also work with individuals. So, if someone's listening to you, how do they know if you're the if you know if they're your target audience, someone that you, that could be helped by your work?
1: I would say um, they know if they're really interested in doing some some deep dive into understanding how do I want to show up as a professional. What are things from my personal life that I feel are getting in the way of me showing up as the leader I want to be? um that's someone that i i love working with um i also work with a lot of leaders who really have great ability but they doubt themselves so much they're like i know i could be a great leader but i feel like i'm just not showing up as the executive i want to be i don't feel like a ceo i feel like an imposter you know i hate to use mm-hmm. imposter syndrome because it's such a like term that we've used all like so much in the last few years, but, but I think there's this level of self doubt. And that's why I do work a lot with leaders on executive presence, how they're showing up, how they, how they convey their vision to their team. Because if you are struggling to communicate with your team and your team's like really unclear on their role, unclear on their responsibilities, what the purpose of the team is, that comes back to the leader. Of Mm -hmm. how are they conveying the vision and getting people motivated and aligned with them to act and execute? Um, So I would say those are the types of executives that I love to work with. And it could be a founder of a small startup or it's a more established startup that's Mm -hmm. going into, you know, series A, you know, it's from seed to series A because a lot of the problems although they scale up it does always come back to the leader and mm-hmm. so i do like to work first with the leadership team you know the ceo and 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 their their core team and then from there really expand out to the rest of the organization because i believe that everybody deserves and needs some kind of coaching professionally to help them really like see what value they bring so that they'll value themselves and how to best show up at work and really give the, give their best.
0: Is there anything you want to share with us about what you're working on next?
1: So, I mean, I'm continuing to expand my coaching practice. And interestingly, the, the new tool that I've been utilizing is a lot of executives are coming to me Um very curious about plant medicine as a tool and psychedelics. So it's been really interesting. Um, I've been asked to help people integrate some of their plant medicine experiences, like with psilocybin or ayahuasca and understanding how that's impacting their professional you know, life. And so there are actually startup teams that are going on psilocybin and ayahuasca retreats together and like working through their issues and bonding with each other. And it's like getting really, really deep stuff, which is Mm -hmm. so rich. And it's like happening all the time underground, but it is happening um, a lot in Silicon Valley. And I think it's fascinating work. So I've actually been getting training in um, psychedelic integration, and supporting leaders that way as an additional tool to the coaching that I already do.
0: So oh, interesting. Well, where can our listeners find you, Rachel?
1: They can find me at rachelbignola.com. You can also look up Fathom, it's spelled P-H-A-T-H-O-M. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn and I'd be happy to talk and hear what your challenges are and see how how I can help.
0: Rachel Bignola, founder of Fathom, a leadership coach, business advisor, and the startup founder of Kova Helmet. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Hazard Girls podcast and for sharing your journey and wisdom with us. And I just have to say, if anyone is looking for someone to help them with their executive presence, Rachel is the person to go to because when we first met in person, Rachel, I will, I, I remember that moment of meeting you and shaking your hand. And I definitely felt you are your strength and your executive presence in that moment. And I remember it very well to this day. So this is the woman to go to. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Emily. That's wonderful to hear. That makes me feel good. You just made my day.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. With us, This has been great. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salabi. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.